enough to go to the treehouse and grab a beer. Welcome to episode 21. <laughs> How's it going? I'm your host, Alex Espinoza. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RickyBlog. Season's starting up. It's officially spring. Days are just about nine days away from opening day. And, um, you know, while camp is still going on, I thought it'd be good to talk to Melissa Lockard of The Athletic. Um, she's been, I, actually, I don't know if anybody knows the A's minor league system better than her outside of the organization itself. She's been covering the A's, um, A's organization, especially through the minor league since 2004 when she started her own website, Oakland Clubhouse. But now she's a writer and editor for The Athletic for the Bay Area site and also for the MLB desk. So, yeah, uh, Melissa was great. We had a great convo about spring training so far, talking about top prospects like Tyler Soderstrom and then also other surprises like Buddy Reed, what happens next with Buddy now that he got hurt. So hope you guys enjoy this one. Okay, we are here with athletic staff writer and editor Melissa Locker. And Melissa, how are you doing? You doing all right? Doing great, Alex. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. I know you're a podcasting pro now, so thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm curious. I mean, you've been around the organization for for so long, you know, since like 2004, right? Is that when you started right. up o- Oakland Clubhouse? Um, I'm curious. What kind of what kind of uh, spurred you to start that and um, you know, how, how has it kind of changed your whole career path? You know? Yeah, you know, it was actually sort of an accident of fate, really. I, um, I was in a totally different career. I was doing legal marketing, of all mm-hmm. things. Um, so <laughs> I was the person that, like, worked on website bios and things on, on uh, large law firm websites. And I wrote newsletters and did all that kind of stuff. And, you know, not very exciting. But um, <laughs> we moved back to the Bay Area. We had been living in Washington, D.C. And there was a blog network called Most Valuable Network that had started up. Um, mm-hmm. And I started writing for them. And this company that at the time was called The Insiders reached out to me and said that they have this sort of uh, you know, I don't know exactly what you would call it, system or. Yeah, this uh, is like kind of when internet's like figuring itself out, right? right. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, I mean, it was very web 1.0. Like, you know, <laughs> we, were, we were using HTML to build all of our stories. And but essentially they were like, uh-huh. you know, you would become the owner of your site. You do what you want to do with it. Um, their focus was mostly college football recruiting and still and they, they became Scout and Scout was bought by CBS. So you'll see their stuff still with college football recruiting everywhere. But um, they had a real nice core of baseball, like prospect people. And I didn't know anything about it at the time, really about prospects. Um, but it was a niche that like I could kind of own without having, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't um, credentialed to go to the Coliseum. So um, I had uh, to find a way to be relevant. And, you know, I was really fortunate that the A's uh, minor league, you know, uh, player development department, especially Keith Littman was incredibly open with um, allowing me to interview him, allowing me to interview players. We would go down to spring training and I'd hang out at um, Papago at the time and just grab guys as they were coming off the field and they were totally fine with that. And um, so it just sort of built slowly over that time with that. And um, the company got sold a few times. I eventually moved in house with them doing like a combination of basically being like the help desk uh-huh. uh, and and running their um, baseball side of the operation. So I edited a magazine for them that came out on prospects every year um, and mm. kind of managed. They, we had prospect writers like Frankie Polari and um, Kylie McDaniel, who 
um, you know, were sort of our national writers, so I managed them and again, continued Oakland Clubhouse. And then they finally got sold like a fifth time and I was sort of done with that <laughs> um, <laughs> and decided to kind of go freelance. And, you know, at that point, I didn't know what I was going to do if I was going to go back to legal marketing. What This is what, 10, 12 years into my career. But um, uh-huh. luckily the athletic opened up at about the same time. And I got on, um, you know, first day of the Bay Area athletic. I had an article, which was cool. You know, it's like um, 2018, right? Around 2018. Yeah, uh, actually it was, yeah. it was um, the 2017 July trade deadline. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. So, yeah. It was uh, the Sunny Gray trade, and then I can't remember. And then the Giants, the the deal that brought Sean Anderson over from Boston with Eduardo uh, Nunez. So it was a piece on both of those deals. Um, so I would write, you know, freelance for them every few weeks or so, and then started editing freelance um, with them that December, and that turned into a full time role that January of 2018. So um, yeah, yeah, I was, really yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I was briefly there for a yeah. second at the Athletic. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. yeah. So it, you know, and it's turned into it, it's it's amazing even just in the three years how much even the Athletic as a company has changed and mm-hmm. um, how much the operation has built up from when it was really just you know you me and a couple other people editing at like. From 9 p.m. till <laughs> yeah, it was morning. like you, Jim, it was like you, Jimmy, and Tim basically editing <laughs> every single article that that the Bay Area did. It's yeah, crazy. so yeah. Um, you know, so now we, we've got we've got some you know more editing staff, and I actually just moved over from the Bay Area editing staff to a, a position with the the MLB desk. Now. Oh, I didn't realize that. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, so, okay, um, awesome. So I, I only edit baseball now, which is probably better for all the other sports. And then, <laughs> uh, so, and uh, which, is, which is cool. And I'm learning a lot. I've got uh, four writers that I manage, including two twins writers. So I'm learning a lot about the, the AL Central and learning not to, you know, look at them and think about Kent Burbeck every time I see that team. So, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's a challenge. It's really interesting. There's a lot of great stuff that comes out today. Uh, Grant Brisby had a piece on the mother's cookies trading cards that I got to edit and um, for me, that was really fun. It's fun, right? Like you, it's oh. enjoyable, right? Well, like yeah, the athletic I mean, has such great writers. It's like yeah. you enjoy editing the stories because it's like, oh, this is a fun, this is a good read, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, so, I spent yeah. like an hour going through my old cards and finding my mother's cookies trading cards just to <laughs> like because he was looking yeah. for one Mark McGuire one I knew I had, and, and I pulled that out, and you know, so um, yeah, so it definitely does not feel like you know work like like I did at the law mm. law firm marketing side. <laughs> so I, I'm enjoying yeah. it a lot. And so like around 2004, I'm guessing that's kind of when the Moneyball class is coming up the ranks, right? Did you get to see, uh, what, what what's the Blue Plate special? I forget, Jeremy Brown, is that Jeremy his Brown, name? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so did you see all those guys coming up through the ranks uh, a couple yeah, years later? Yeah. Or what? Yeah. You know, one of the first guys I did uh, a lot of long interviews with was John Baker, who was the other catcher yeah. in the class. Um, went to Cal, a really, you know, well-spoken uh, guy. I remember the first interview I did with him was like 35 minutes long, you know, and um He's now running the Pirates minor league. Um, oh wow! So okay. he's he's moved on to quite a, a good career. But he and Jeremy were very good friends. Uh, I remember talking to him about you know catching Joe Blanton at Double A Midland. Um, that was when Rich Harden started off that season with like 18 straight no hit innings, and um, so there was a lot that was going on there. And then you know that 2004 draft class, which was the first one I covered, was actually a class that Kurt Suzuki and Houston Street came out of. 
mm-hmm. um, and Landon Powell. And, you know, so there were some guys in that class that actually ended up, I think, being more influential than even that 2002 class. Um, yeah, Suzuki's still playing too. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, he's still, I mean, he's a catcher, still going. I can't believe it. You look at that yeah, 2004 <laughs> draft and two of the guys with the highest career wars from that draft are Suzuki and Street. And you don't think about like, you know, you think about superstars, but there's some benefit to uh-huh. these guys that play forever and are just really effective for long periods of time. So, you know, those guys were, were definitely there. Um, and then, you know, the 2005, the first game I ever covered in Stockton live was the first ball the game at the Banner Island ballpark. Oh, you know, cool. Yeah. Derek Barton was there, Dallas Braden pitching, you know, so there, there were a lot of kind of very interesting names back then. Well, I remember when Derek Barton was coming up, I think Billy kind of cursed him. He said, oh, he's got the best pure bat in the minor leagues. And yeah. that, that just kind of followed him the rest of his career. Everybody's yeah. like, oh, well, this guy better be good, you know. It's funny because he, his approach was fantastic. And it was almost yeah. too good for the minor leagues because, I, you know, when you spend a lot of time watching minor league baseball, you realize, um, you know, numbers are not always what they seem because umpires are not, you know, these are not <laughs> umpires. Okay. And we have okay. enough issues with making caliber umpires, right? And especially yeah. when you're talking about like, you know, class A ball, yeah. um, you know, these, these guys are just starting out just like the players are. So they miss a lot of calls. And some of those um, players that have really discerning eyes get, you know, kind of penalized for it because a lot of those pitches that are right on the, off the corner that should be called balls are going to get called strikes. And um, I don't know if he created, you know, any bad habits from that, but I, you know, I think part of it too, was that there was sort of this expectation that if you had that approach, you would eventually develop the strength to become a home run hitter because that's how J- Jason Giambi went about it. But of course there was an element to Jason's development that I think um, you know, from a chemical perspective, never quite <laughs> happened with, with Derek Barton. So, you know, I mean, Barton had a couple of big years in the big leagues. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it, it was a little bit weird that when he kind of made his breakthrough, they would bring in veterans that he'd have to compete with and he never quite was able to kind of keep the momentum going, but yeah, he's, uh, what might've been with him was definitely <laughs> one yeah. of the interesting stories. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned Keith Lipman too. I mean, I know there's also other people like Eric Kubota who've kind of been in the background with the, I mean, how much, uh, how much continuity has there been in this organization? I mean, I know Melvin's, I think he's the longest tenured manager now in the, ma- yeah. in the majors. I mean, how much continuity is there? It's kind of impressive. I mean, given all the, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's always turnover, but it seems like the A's have been able to kind of keep their core group in the front office together for two de- two decades now, really. Yeah, I mean, I think more even than Moneyball, that was the secret sauce. You know, the uh, continuity with the front office and, you know, and now you've got with Melvin being there as long as he is, it extends down to the dugout as well. But that front office, dating back to when Billy Bean took over, you can draw a straight line to where they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, most of the guy, I mean, you know, David Force would probably be considered relatively new. And I think he's got two decades. Eric Kubota has been around the organization for three decades. Um, You're the director of scouting, right? Yeah. yeah and yeah, he's, yeah. you know, and, and he's very underrated. I mean, you, you know, he's not a guy that goes out there looking for the headlines or anything. And But his draft classes kind of very continuously churn out players that either make a difference for the A's or players that the A's can trade for what they want, um, which, you know, I think is how they need to use their system. It's a little different than um, how like maybe San Diego approaches it, where they try to, you know, grab as many flashy prospects as possible and build up that sort of um, base. But if you look at the A's over this, you know, last 25 year period, there aren't really any years you can point to where they totally tore everything down. Mm-hmm. And um, they're always sort of putting their resources towards the big league team. 
So when you do that, you need sort of solid minor league players that you can count on as opposed to maybe the boom and bust guys that um, other organizations go for. So, you know, from a rankings perspective, it's never going to be that flashy. But I think from a production perspective, if you go back over, you know, dating back to 2000, they've gotten a lot of value out of the guys that they've had. Mm-hmm. And do you do you miss the minor league atmosphere like the ballparks i mean i, I do you i mean uh, i feel like that kind of keeps the spirit of true baseball alive now mlb is so corporate and the stadiums are so big but then you go to a minor league ballpark it's kind of intimate and i mean how much do you just love that atmosphere being at those kind of oh games, yeah you know? i, I, I mean, can't wait to go back i'm hoping that they're going to allow fans you know in their for media into the stadiums this year but um mm-hmm. It's great. I mean, you, you go down to, to Stockton or you go out to San Jose and you're, you know, and you have a chance to see some of the most exciting talent, you know, I mean, you could tell your kids that you saw, you know, Tyler Schottestrom in this first pro season, if you go out to Stockton this year, likely, and um, you know, he turned, he could turn into a superstar, Matt Chapman. I mean, I still remember watching him take batting practice at Banner, Banner, uh, Banner Island ballpark, just mm-hmm. flipping balls over that, um, you know, clubhouse out uh, towards the arena there and um, or that building out towards the arena there. And like, you know, all those fans that are standing there and can catch those balls, that's Matt Chapman hitting home runs to them um, when nobody had ever heard of them. And, and, you know, the ballparks are small, the players are accessible for signing autographs and um, mm-hmm. the little in between inning promotions are funny and stuff. So, um, you know, your Wednesday night games where there's like 200 people there can be a bit of a drag, but I think, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, overall the, the, um, the atmosphere is really good. And um, I think it's just going to be exciting to have minor league baseball back just because, you know, as fun as it is to follow major league baseball, when you have minor league baseball going at the same time and your big league club's not doing anything or they have an off day or something, you've got, you know, four other teams you can follow that day. And that is really like, there's no other sport in, in the world really that you can do that. And so you have so much invested, you've got 180 guys that you can be invested in as opposed to just 26, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. I mean, did you ever, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to even keep track of the 26 guys on the A's. So is it hard to manage? Like, do you have like a huge database? Like, how do you manage, how do you keep all your your thoughts in in, in a row? You know, it must be kind of hard, you know? I mean, part of it is just, I think over time you, and it's going to be hard with this one year break. I mean, I, I find that yeah, I'm I was going to ask back my notes and like, yeah. you know, look at this, but usually like it, there's a rhythm to it, right? Like a, a draft class comes in, you kind of cover that class. You're sort of, you know, into what those guys are doing and they sort of embed themselves in your brain. Then they start to move up. Um, you know, you mm-hmm. kind of each year there's a, there's like a new story. And as guys graduate, you know, you just sort of develop this familiarity with them. So, I mean, I couldn't name you all 180 players, yeah, yeah. but you, you know, but there's um, a lot of guys that just sort of fall off the tip of your tongue because, you know, you are sort of following them as stories as opposed to just like names on, on a box score. Um, and, you know, and I think that's also the uniqueness of it is that, you know, uh, I mean, the NBA maybe a little bit with the G League, but, you know, how many sports do you have guys that come out of nowhere They go into, you know, this low level and then they build up each year like a chapter in a book until this opportunity maybe comes around where they get to the big leagues. It's it's um, it's really cool. And the emotion that you can invest in, you know, any player that's going through that, I think, is very unique to baseball. So, um, yeah, my mind tends to be sticky for those kind of things, not (laughs) for like things like where my keys are and stuff like that. So uh, (laughs) I'm looking forward to getting back to that. It was a little my mind was a little empty last year. <laughs> well, yeah, I was gonna say, what are what do you think are gonna be like the long term effects? Um, 
you know, not only for players development, but I know a lot of these cities are now like, you know, a lot of MLB clubs pulled their affiliates out of these smaller cities. What, what do you kind of see as like the long-term effects of last year having no minor league baseball? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I think we, we won't know for a while. And I think that's, yeah. um, you know, it's going to be, like I was talking, I'm working on a story about, you know, what the A's and Giants are doing for their alternate sites and minor league camp. Um, and I talked to Ed Sprague, you know, who's the A's farm director and, and Kyle Haynes, who's the Giants farm director. And, um, you know, both of them were like, we don't know what we're going to see when these guys show up in three weeks. You know, we've, we've kept in touch with them. We understand where they, you know, claim to be physically and all that. But until these guys get on the field, it's been 18 months since most of them yeah. have been on the field. So, um, you know, just even this year, the quality of play, I think there's going to be some question as to, you know, what, you know, is how good that's going to be, how much, you know, time, but also the fact that there is no um, short season level, it's just rookie ball now. Um, so there's one less rung that these guys can go to is going to make it um, tricky for teams to figure out where to assign players, not to mention, do you graduate players to the level they should have been if they had played last year? Um, Not every organization is going to handle that the same. So, um, you know, they don't know how say double A is going to play. Is it going to be the same as double A normally is, is high A going to be more like low A or is low A going to be more like high A? Um, So I think there's going to be a lot of experimentation, but you know, it may linger for a couple of years and then it'll sort of write itself as it always yeah. does. Um, but uh, it'll be very interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, and the California league or whatever they're calling it now, low A, what, I mean, the fact that it's a classification lower than it was before, um, you know, creates a whole new element to that league as well. So um, it's, it's going to be very interesting. Yeah. And I mean, cause you look at people like, you know, Buddy, you know, Buddy Reed and Kai Tom, they didn't, you don't really know what to expect. And then they come out here and they're mashing and you're like, is this legit or is this just a hot streak, you know? So, I mean, um, it's kind of like, what what do you think? I mean, it it seems like the worst, the worst possible time for Buddy to get an injury, you know, when he's really getting on Bob Melvin's radar. Um, I mean, how do you think uh, the setback is going to affect him this season? Well, I mean, you know, it's hard to know exactly how quickly he heals, Um, you know, if he's able to be healed up and ready to start playing um, basically at the start of the AAA season, which will be May 6th for Uh AAA West. Um, you know, I think, I think he's not in too bad of a position compared to where he would have been. It would have been hard for him to make the 26 man roster just because he's a non-roster player and they have some, you know, guys that they'd have to remove from the 40 man roster to make room for him. And they already had to make a spot for Jed Lowry. Um, so, you know, unless Tom wasn't going to make the roster, I think it was going to be a very uphill battle for Reed to make it anyway. And there's still some things that they want to work on with him. I mean, he, he got off to the very hot start with the home runs, but the strikeout started to add up a little bit before the injury. Um, and there's just a contact rate thing, especially from the left side that they really want to give him some time and he's never played at AAA. So, um, giving him an opportunity to play at AAA, but what he did prove, and I think this will be very valuable for him, um, is that he's an outstanding defensive center fielder. And, um, you know, as they kind of go through this season and they figure out what they need from their bench, having an outstanding, you know, center fielder who, uh, can run um, may be somebody they come to decide they need on their bench midway through the year. Um, so I think he's done that. And I think he can, you know, use that to um, push him forward in the AAA season. But I, I do think we will see him at some point this season. Yeah, because I think, especially when Ramon, he's been dealing with his thing, I think it kind of exposed the A's don't really have a, a true backup center fielder, right? I mean, I know they can 
kind of plug Canna in there and he can be serviceable, but they don't have like a true like athlete to roam around out there. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, Sky Bolt is a very good defensive center fielder and they, they optioned him out fairly early. So, um, you know, he obviously wasn't in the running there, um, you know, right away, but he is somebody already on the roster. They could call up um, to play a solid defensive center field. Um, I think Luis Barrera, he's played more right field mostly because guys like Bolt have been sort of next to him in center field. Um, but, uh, you know, he can, he can definitely play center too. Um, so they've got guys they can, they can bring up, but on that projected 26 man roster, it's a little bit thin, uh, you know, Kemp has played there some in his career. Tom has played there in the minor leagues in his career, but, um, there, there's certainly no, nobody like Reed defensively that has played there. Although I have to say, I think Keanu did a pretty decent job, all things considered, when he was there last yeah, year. Yeah, I th- honestly, he surprised me, too. Like, he he looks like he really worked himself into being as uh, the best athlete he could be, you know? Yeah, so. you know, and, I, and I, they haven't put Chad Pinder out there much, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he'd be able to handle it just fine, too. I think when you can play the corners um, and, you know, you're you're not playing the corners like a statue, like Jack Custer or something like that, like you're actually playing them athletically, the center field is not as hard as it seems because – um, really the ball comes to you at a much more normal angle out, out mm-hmm. in center field. Um, so it's just a matter of, can you get to the ball and, you know, guys like Pinder and, and Cameron can run, um, you know, a little bit. So I think, I think they can be fine there. And, and, and back to buddy. I mean, where, is, where do you see the holes in his swing? I mean, I, I only saw, you know, a few at bats on TV, but it looks like uh, I, I remember him chasing a high fastball one time and it looked like he had no real, no real shot at it. I mean, do you, do you know what the scattering report is on him as far as like where he kind of has the holes in his swing and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah. I mean, I think he's there, you know, there's a little bit of busyness um, before the ball, you know, the back gets through the zone that I think maybe can slow it down a little bit. Um, he also had talked about how in the Padres organization, they wanted him to sort of be a, you know, Willie Mays case type where you ground the ball and try to, you know, beat it out. Um, and he really wanted to get the ball more in the air and show off his power. So I think a, a little bit of it is just adjusting to the new swing path that he's um, adding in there too. But, um, you know, they, you know, they had actually talked a little bit at the alternate site last year when he was there about, you know, whether he should just be a right-handed hitter um, because uh, he, he does have a little bit more of a natural flow from that right side. Um, but they, you know, they stuck with, the left-handed hitter and he hit two home runs left-handed you know this spring so I think it's more of just how do you get to the, the bat to the zone where the where the ball is going to get there quicker than maybe he is getting there right now with his left-handed swing yeah and on a thought of, of prospects um I, I remember like about 10 years ago Michael Taylor was coming up this, uh the thing and everybody was really stoked about him I, I'm curious are there any other prospects that you, you thought had immense potential but unfortunately just didn't kind of work out for them in the major leagues I, who were, yeah. I mean I'm sure there's a lot but I mean I'm curious who, who are some of the who are some of those really notable people here like man it's too bad it didn't work out for them uh, yeah I mean you know Michael Taylor was definitely one of them I think you know he's a guy that um it's probably too smart <laughs> to play to, to play effectively he thought you know he he, he just I think got too in, in his head sometimes when he was playing he's a really really smart guy I think it was just you know there's too much information um uh, I thought Jamel Weeks was going to be there yeah that's right yeah, a that's a good time. call yeah um and uh you know the body never quite held up and you know they were sort of impatient I think a little bit with his um his development and trying you know like I mean Rich Harden obviously had a yeah, long career, but yeah. I would have expected him to be, um, you know, not maybe not Hall of Fame caliber, but certainly one of these sort of all-star year after year. And that, that never quite came 
um, came to fruition. Uh, you know, Grant Green could really hit, and then he never hit, and you know, he never had a position, so you knew that was always going to hold him back. But like, um, I never expected him to get to the major leagues and then just flat out not be able to hit because he really did um, be able to hit well. And and even Michael Choice, I mean, um, you know, here's a guy. Oh, that's who, a good one. Yeah, yeah he he got to AAA and and he performed at AAA. Um, and he started off, he had that little September call up with the A's where he played pretty well. They traded him to the Rangers and it just sort of fell apart with the Rangers. So um, who knows, maybe if he had stayed with the A's, his career would have gone a different direction, but um, all really talented players that just, you know, it, it's such a hard game, you know, it's like yeah. <laughs> the one little thing and, and it doesn't quite go the way you expect it to. And did you cover Bobby Crosby in the minor leagues now? Because I know he's he's the skipper now for the Ports. Right. Is that right? Or, he's or, actually going to be Midland now. Midland, so Midland. That's right. Skipper yeah. for the Ports last season, but they ended up um, when you know things got moved around, um, coaching staff wise, he'll he'll be in Midland where he was a um, kind of fourth coach um, with their staff uh, in. Um, the last 2019 but um yeah no uh, you know so he he came up in, in 2003 was his september call up and then so 2004 was his rookie of the year so i covered him oh, okay. far during his rookie of the year but it's been really fun he's been a fantastic interview a really great um really great guy uh that's players rave about working with him i think he's one of these rising stars that you're going to see as a major league manager um you know, they, they rave about how he's worked with the defensive infielders, the, the kind of mental approach, handling the ups and downs. Because he says, you know, I've had every high and low you could possibly have as a player, um, even managing the body, you know, because obviously he had some injury issues that he's sort of been able to teach some lessons about, you know, how maybe he could have avoided those had he known these lessons earlier and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think he's, he's a tremendous asset to, to the organization. And He's been, he was at the alternate side as a coach um, last summer, and he's been part of this mini camp coaching staff. Um, that's like where Logan Davidson and um, some of those uh, guys that have come over from, you know, minor league camp. Oh, cool. So, so he's in Arizona. He's on those backfields and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. So okay. it's a small group that's coaching that, um, that mini camp group and, and he's one of them. So you can tell that they really think a lot of him. Yeah, and I've actually never been to Banner Island. Is that, I mean, is that, is that, a, everybody says it's an awesome ballpark, great place to watch a game. I mean, is that a, is that like a logical place for the A's to hold their alternate site this year? You yeah. think? You think yeah, it makes so a lot actually, of sense? They officially announced it. They would have held it there last summer, but um, the, the San Joaquin County was just not at a um, tier that they were, felt that it was safe enough to do that. So that's why they were in San Jose. Um, but they, I mean, you know, knock on wood and these things can change constantly, but the plan is to be a Banner Island ballpark um, for the alternate site. And then, um, you know, then the ports will move in there um, once the, their season starts. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great little park. It's right on the water. There's yeah, a, yeah. You know, a fun grass area that they've got a jumping house. My kids love, you know, going out there. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's got a cool sideline. There's the arena in the, over the like kind of left field area that you can sort of hit home runs. There's a slight, there's a slightly taller wall that's supposed to be like a mini green monster that, um, you know, sort of is in front of that arena, but um, pretty sight lines and, uh, you know, lots of fried asparagus if you're into that thing <laughs> as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. And it's, it's been um, a really good relationship for the A's. I mean, they moved over from Modesto to Stockton in 2005. And, you know, that's been a very strong relationship from them ever since then. Yeah, because it seems like a lot of the hardcore bleacher fans like to go down there and check oh, yeah. out games and stuff, yeah, too. So yeah, there's like a really direct connection between Oakland and Stockton, which is really cool, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you can see Will and then all those <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
And have you been to the new Vegas ballpark or the, I don't know if it's new. Have you been to the Vegas ballpark yet? I've never, I, I think that would be a great place to watch a game too. Right. I would yeah. assume. Be awesome. I, I was actually at the opening series um, in 2019, they played the river camp. So it was perfect. Cause I can pitch it to my editors that look all the players <laughs> there that I need to cover. So send me, send me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was great. So I got three games there. Um, really pretty stadium. It was freezing. Like really, this really wind good. coming in. That was crazy. But I think that's probably just an April thing, you know, yeah. for, from yeah. a temperature uh, wise there, but um, they did a fantastic job with that ballpark day. Um, this, the seats for the fans are, are like this, like open um, sort of honeycomb um, style. So it will let, actually let heat out. Um, so when it's really hot there, they can get debris coming through. So it's more comfortable for the fans. The indoor areas where the weight room and the clubhouse are, are sort of major quality. Um, so the players were raving about it. Um, you know, they get really out- good crowds, right? They, they get yeah. like, really good crowds every night. Right? Yeah, 13,000, yeah. I think, you know. Is, is, <laughs> it's better than yeah. Oakland, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's out. Um, it's not in like downtown Vegas. It's more out in, in a suburb there in, in Henderson. Um, but, uh, you know, they've got a big community of people that live around there. I think the uh, Golden Knights have their practice facility right next door. Um, so uh, I think, yeah, they're very excited to be, you know, affiliated there and, um, it's a crazy offensive ballpark though. So like, I mean, when you're looking at numbers, you kind of have to, um, yeah. sort of take that into account that, um, you know, the ball flies there and from both the hitters and the pitchers perspectives, there's, uh, you know, the, the, some the, inflation there, yeah. yeah, but, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really nice. And, and obviously with the major airport there, it's also very easy for them to get players in and out, which is, I think really for most triple a franchises is the most important thing for the big leagues so um yeah they're very excited to be in that relationship there yeah i'm curious what's your like your favorite minor league ballpark or or where's like the weirdest place you've ever weirdest little city you've ever seen a game or like i don't know what what are some quirky uh minor league ballpark stories you got (laughs) I, I, I i haven't had too many because um you know because we in the bay area we're lucky that we had the two levels you know pretty well represented right here I was able to see a lot of teams coming through there. Um, you know, I went down to Modesto um, and uh, I didn't get to see, you know, where the ports played before in Stockton was supposedly, um, you know, a pretty funky uh, stadium. It was oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, the Lancaster Jetthawks, I didn't actually go to a game there, but we were driving down through and we stopped and t- took a look. They actually have like an, they had like an airplane, um, you know, like kind of like a hangar there, which, yeah, because yeah, it's called oh, the hangar. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that you know that's that's a pretty interesting one as a kid i remember i went to a palm springs angels game um and you know in the summer in palm springs it's like 120 degrees so there were spritzers over the whole crowd (laughs) it was like it was raining on you while you're out there but it was also really hot so that was kind of that's cool i I don't know what they ended up doing with that stadium but um Yeah, so, uh, but it's, you know, you can kind of dot your way through all sorts of very interesting places. Um, but I have to say a lot of the ballparks now are getting, um, are new, you know, like some of yeah. the older kind of quirky ones are sort of falling by the wayside. And, um, you know, part of this realignment was basically getting teams hooked up with affiliates that do have either new or newly renovated stadiums. So you'll see sort of less of that quirkiness, I think, as you go Yeah, 
Yeah, I went up to the Reno, uh, the Reno Aces Stadium last year too. They have a really cool stadium too. Yeah, that was a, that was a fun place to watch a game too. Yeah, and that's a new one because that was that Tucson franchise that moved up there a few years ago um, to to go to Reno. So um, yeah, and like Portland, I think that you know the Portland Beavers that was one of the oldest stadiums in all of the United States um, before you know they moved away. Um, and uh, so that one was, I'm sure, pretty interesting as well. Yeah. Like one, one place I really want to go uh, is up to Alaska every summer solstice. Oh, yeah. yeah. The summer solstice, they play like a game at midnight on the solstice. I think that would be so cool. I just want to go up there and I have some friends who used to go fishing up in Alaska. So I got to yeah. go up there at least. The one Alaskan place. Summer League is supposedly really cool. And um, actually, the, the A's director of minor league operations, Zach Bash, um, played in that league in the summer okay. before. Uh, I remember well, Zach. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Zach went to, Re- went to Reno and, and pitched in the A's organization for a year. But um, yeah, he talked he raves about that experience um it's like one of his top baseball experiences because yeah, i think well in like the 80s or the 90s it was like a lot of really high profile guys went there right? yes. I, I think i read like yeah. ken griffey jr used to go up there or something yeah. like that or like randy johnson or something crazy like that right? yeah or, no or, i think it's you know like the cape cod league is obviously the summer league that people know the most about but um you know that's usually incoming juniors. So uh, incoming freshmen and incoming sophomores tend to go to these other summer wood bat leagues. And, and the Alaska League is definitely one of the really popular ones. Oh, cool. um, yeah, so yeah. there's that in the Northwoods is another one that's pretty popular. So. Okay. And, uh, and then, yeah, back to uh, this year's team. Um, I'm curious about this kind of, it looks like there's kind of like an emerging battle between Seth Brown and Kai Tom uh, for like the reserve outfielder spot. Uh, does Tom have some leverage since he's a rule five pick in in this situation? Because if the A's are like on the fence, they would probably maybe go with him because they, they know they can shuttle down Brown whenever kind of a thing. Or, I mean, yeah, what, what, I what mean, do you feel like uh, that situation? Yeah. Yeah. Like they're definitely not an organization that would be just like, you're the rule five pick, so you've got the job. Like um, they make their rule five picks earn it. And you can see that, that already. They, they sent uh, Dan Jimenez back uh, to, to Toronto already. Um, but that being said, if both are playing well, for sure, that rule five pick is going to have the advantage over the, the person who, you know, can be sent down, um, and, and has minor league options available to them. So, um, you know, I think the fact that Tom has come out playing really well, despite missing, you know, the first half of camp with that injury, you know, probably puts him in the lead at this point. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I know Bob Melvin really likes Seth Brown a lot. Um, the, the whole organization was sort of thrilled when he got his call up, um, because, you know, he's the kind of guy that you want to be able to point to and say, listen, you might've been drafted in the, you know, 20th round, but look what this guy did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I think I, I mean, opening day rosters, so much, like so much is put into what happens on opening day and yeah, but... <laughs> it changes so much throughout the year. It was actually fairly unusual. I think last year, the A's didn't really make as many moves in the 60 game season. They were fairly lucky with, with health and, and everything. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, match happened aside, but like, you know, in terms of just that churn you tend to see in a 162 game season didn't really happen last year, especially in their outfield. But in 162 game season, especially coming off a short season like last year, I, I would expect, I mean, you already see Laureano and, and Piscotti are dealing with minor nagging injuries. You know, the chances of them not having an injury in the outfield at some point this year are pretty small. So even if we don't see Seth Brown on opening day, I'd expect that you'd see him um, yeah. at some point during the season. And what can A's fans expect from him? Because, I mean, he he put up some really big numbers in 2019. I think uh, I have – yeah, he hit 297 with 37 homers and 104 RBIs. I mean, 
he look. I mean, he put up the. He kind of fits that profile. Power hitting left-handed hitter, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. No, he's he's always been a real professional hitter. You know, he um, he's not necessarily like the highest walk guy, but he works with the count really well. Um, and he's a run producer. And I know that's kind of a, an outdated term that, that people don't, you know. I believe in the RBI. I believe. Yeah. In the RBI. But you know, <laughs> there's, there's a guy who's three straight full seasons in the minor leagues, at least 90 RBIs. Um, and, you know, you hit the 37 home runs and that was like with being called up three weeks before the AAA season ended. Oh, wow. Um, he had 30 home that. runs with Stockton two years prior to that. Um, the one season in the middle in Midland, he had only had 14, but that's left-handers get killed at that stadium with the wind coming um, the direction that it did. And he, you know, you could see in his doubles output um, that he was still hitting the ball really hard. So, okay. yeah, I mean, he's a guy who hits the ball hard. He uses the whole field well. Um, he's not flashy, you know, but um, fields his positions well in, in the in the corner outfield. First base is newer to him, but I don't think that's something that, you know, with Olsen and Moreland that the, the DAs are really too concerned about. Um, so, you know, he's, he's a guy that you can fill that right field, left field. He's even played a little bit of center field in the minor leagues. I don't think you'd want to start him there on a regular basis, but in an emergency, he, he can do that too. Um, and just sort of your lunch pail guy, you know, he's kind of yeah. a taller, skinnier Matt Stairs, you know, like <laughs> that, that kind of mentality. Um, and always working, you know, he's, he's the first guy in the cage. He's the last guy out of the cage. Um, so, you know, he's a good guy to have around the roster. Okay. And it looks like the other uh, spot up for grabs is the backup catcher. How, how do you kind of see that? And, and it seems like Garcia and Allen are both having pretty good springs, honestly. I mean, yeah. it's, they, they seem like they're both be solid options as backup catchers at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, Allen is defensively been a work in progress. And so it's kind of, you know, like what they sort of see, um, how his defense has developed. Like, you know, I, the, the, it's tough with catchers because you don't know what the internal metrics are that these teams are using to kind of measure their um, defensive work. I mean, Garcia's thrown out a few guys um, attempting to steal this spring. I think his arms looked really impressive. He, he's all, uh, he really took to the Giants, like, pitch framing um, sort of approach to catching that, um, you know, the one that sort of Gabe Kapler got a lot of heat about at the early, you know, part of last season when all their catchers kept interfering with with the hitters. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but you know, Garcia is a guy that, that is able to manipulate the ball a little bit. Um, and, you know, that may give him a little bit of an advantage, but on the flip side, you know, Allen's a left-handed hitter. And if you're going to try to create some offensive balance, obviously, um, you know, he, he creates some of that balance um, there, but I think they're both two solid options. I think, um, you know, again, one of those things like last season, Allen started off the season opening day as the backup catcher. And then Jonah Heim took over halfway through the year. I don't know that the yeah. battle will be fully decided on opening day. Um, and whoever doesn't get it, will end up being the, you know, um, taxi squad catcher. And so, you know, you'll, you'll probably end up seeing a decent amount of both of them, but um, you know, Garcia's coming off of, he missed last season entirely with a hip labrum surgery. And so far he's looked really healthy and has been able to move around a lot. So, um, but that'll be something to monitor with him as well. Yeah. And, and speaking of catchers, I mean, Tyler Soderstrom, everybody's really excited about him. It seems like every time he's in there, he's hitting a double or something, you know, <laughs> I mean, he's only 19 and he's a catcher, the hardest position to play on the field. Uh, how impressed are, are you with Soderstrom and how he just kind of he just jumped right into big league camp it seems like without batting an eye you know it's yeah. kind of crazy yeah extremely confident kid I mean you know he's a guy who believes that he's deserves to be there and you can tell which I think is great I mean you know I would be like hiding in the corner <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hiding yeah. in the corner now but 19 you know for sure 
Um, but I mean, they were raving about in summer camp, how the ball came off his bat, his approach, like what, you know, where he wanted to hit the ball, they're using all fields, you know, stuff that you don't normally hear from a night about a 19 year old. Um, but I hadn't seen him until, you know, spring and mm -hmm. you could see why was, you know, almost instantly they were so excited about him. Uh, really, you know, smooth swing, not a lot of moving parts, um, can get through the zone quickly, you know, hit the ball, the opposite field for a double. One of those hits was like hundred miles an hour off the bat. So the power is already there and, you know, he's only 19. So he'll probably physically, uh, fill out even more, you know, defensively, there's, there's a lot to work on still. Um, and they'll probably just sort of decide at, at a certain point, whether it makes sense to continue him as a catcher or, you know, move him off, but there's no rush. I mean, I think if you, if there's a chance he can be a catcher, it's, it's worth exploring there. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think as a, in terms of teenage hitting prospects, he's as, probably as good as the A's have had in, you know, mm -hmm. 15 years. Yeah. I mean, and I was going to ask like, um, cause this is going to be Murphy's first, you know, 162. He's only, I think 26 or 20, I think he's 26 Murphy is. So do you feel like there's going to be a time, like say Soderstrom comes up in a couple of years and Murphy's still there. Do you feel like there might be a little, you know, pickle for them. They have to decide kind of a thing, uh, yeah. catcher, or is that way too far down the road? Do you think it is? Yeah, possible? I think, you know, the thing that whenever you ask anybody in baseball about things like that, like you have, you know, starting shortstop and then there's a guy coming up, the number one answer is it always works itself out. And amazingly enough, it always does. Right? <laughs> it does, yeah. You know, they remember they drafted Matt Chapman in the first round when Josh Donaldson was their third baseman. You know, like these things tend to work themselves out, whether it's because a player doesn't end up staying at that position or, you know, like it, at the end of the day, even if Soderstrom stuck at catcher and Murphy was still there, um, you know, I think you would see Soderstrom getting some reps in other positions. And so he could be the backup catcher and also a left fielder, or we have the DH in the American league and, you know, maybe for all of baseball at some point. So, um, you know, he could get at that's that way. I think you can never have enough good catching. Um, and if he's an offensive force, they'll figure out a way to have him and Sean Murphy on the roster. Okay. And then as far as pitching, I mean, uh, it looks like Dalton Jeffries and Cole Irvin are kind of like the two in the running for the, the number five spot. Are, are they both just kind of control freaks? Is that kind of how they profile? Like they're both really good at kind of keeping the ball in the strike zone and not walking guys. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, Dalton's probably got more upside from his, from a raw stuff perspective. Um, you know, he can run it up there to 95 when, um, you know, he's reaching back for something extra. He's got that, um, you know, hard breaking ball. That's like basically, you know, an 89 mile per hour. Um, you know, essentially it's almost like a fork ball coming in there at 89 miles an hour, but it's a slider, right? Like, and now he's got the slower change up. So he's got three, you know, ways to sort of change the hitter's timing. Uh, yeah, control is obviously a really good um, part of his game. Um, Urban has been a real pleasant surprise. I didn't know a ton about him, you know, before they uh, they acquired him. But, um, you know, he probably profiles more in that sort of um, not Brad Anderson as he was coming up, you know, when he was the Uber prospect, but the Brad Anderson that, you know, he became later where, um, you know, he's sort of disrupting hitters timing and, you know, mixing and matching a bunch of different pitches and throwing a lot of strikes from the okay. left side. Yeah, and and, um, and do you do you think Jesus Luzardo is going to struggle this year? I feel like he's going to have to go through some bumps for the for, at least for the first couple of months and see how he how he responds. You know, I feel like I think we've already seen it in the spring. Like he has a good start and then he kind of gets knocked around a little bit. Do you feel like that's going to happen again uh, this season? I think I, he it's it's funny. I mean, I remember um, in was it 2018. I saw him 
throw a B, you know, minor league B game um, against the Cubs, you know, these are against low A hitters and everybody was buzzing about him before it. And then he gave up like eight runs in that inning. Um, stuff was really good. It just sort of snowballed on him. Um, and then that season he was dominant, you know, right. So, um, you know, I think he, he has these little things. I think spring training, you know, you are working on stuff. The fact that his stuff looks this good, if he's healthy, you know, everybody's going to have a few bad starts or a few bad innings over the course of, of a full season. But if he's healthy, um, he's going to be an above average starter for the A's. Okay, last one for you. I know I kept you a little long. Um, <laughs> um, what do you think about AJ Puck? Um, also, because I think as uh, Emo said something interesting, he's like, I can't remember the last time we got him three up. So I think on Wednesday or and the next time he's supposed to pitch, they want him to pitch three innings. And I don't think he's done that since 2017. So do, do you think his future is reasonably like with the rotation or do you think they should build him up as a, a reliever at this point or you know, they don't need him as a reliever right now. I mean, you know, they brought in these veterans, they've got a bullpen that I think they can feel pretty confident in. Um, so I don't see why they shouldn't try to, to stretch him out as a starter. I mean, you know, the fact that he hasn't had the three ups um, isn't because he can't do three. It's because like his health got in the way. So a healthy AJ Puck, there's, there's no reason that he shouldn't be able to do uh, turn a lineup over two, three times, you know, um, it, obviously the velocity was down, um, from what we normally see in that first spring outing. And it'll be certainly something to monitor. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's really interesting to me that pitchers kind of come out of the gate throwing 97 in spring training. Now that that was never a thing in the old days, right? You build your velocity up. And so, um, even if it ticks up just two miles an hour, you know, to be like in that 95 range, that's with, with his breaking ball and his off-speed pitches, um, you know, that's a huge weapon to have as a starter. So, um, you know, I, I think there's, it, it depends on what you need for this season, but right now, at least at the start of the season with a veteran bullpen already in place and with the starting rotation that, um, you know, whether he's the fifth starter or it's Cole Irvin or, or Dalton Jeffries while Mike Pires recovers, you know, you don't need somebody to be pushed into a role they're not ready for. And there also isn't any reason to interrupt somebody's development you know, for the big leagues. And so um, in 2019, there was that reason they needed that bullpen arm. So they decided to, you know, end the whole um, stretching him out thing and get him to the big league bullpen as quickly as possible. But um, until they need something like that, there's no reason not to see if they can get him up to 60, 70 pitches, um, you know, in the next few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see how the left-handed, um, depth in the bullpen plays out because obviously Diekman looks great I, I think Kolarik is still kind of a question mark I know he put up good numbers but I still still kind of has to prove himself and then beyond that it seems like there's a really big drop off you know so I'm, I'm going to be curious to see how that plays out yeah I mean I think you know the other thing is Irvin's experience in the big leagues almost half of it came out of the bullpen too so he's another guy yeah. who would move into that role as well. Um, I think Kolarik is a little bit um, misleading because, you know, the pitches that he's relies on don't always move that well in the desert. Um, you know, that remember a little bit spring training, those guys that, that rely heavily on like sliders and, and off-speed pitches can kind of get that around. Petite, I think you see that with him every spring too. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think they're, they're pretty excited with what they have with him there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that is something that, um, that they'll keep an eye on. But, you know, with the way that the three batter minimum works now you, you may not need as many lefties as you used to so yeah yeah it's gonna be interesting to see i mean i think they're gonna be good i think it's gonna be pretty much the same as last year they'll put up runs 
the they just got to get it to the bullpen. I think it's it's kind of like the starting pitching depth is going to be challenged, you know. Um, yeah, but, for every team, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Every how, how teams get through 162 games after a 60 game season is going to be really interesting, especially from a pitching perspective. So, um, yeah, I think uh, it's it's they certainly line up to be as good as any team in the American League. It's just a matter of um, you know staying healthy. But I think for every team, that's going to be a huge wild card. So. Yeah, for sure. Awesome, Melissa. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This is a great talk. Uh, yeah, lo- hopefully I'll be out in Vegas at some point going to a game. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Stay, stay at that Red Rock River Casino. It's right across the way. Oh, yeah. it's very <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Melissa. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. All right, definitely got to get down to Vegas. Got to get down to Stockton. Got to get up to Alaska. So many ballparks to check out. Thanks to Melissa. That was a really fun chat. Going to be following her stuff all season long on The Athletic. Make sure to follow her on Twitter as well, Melissa Lockard. And, yeah, I think that'll do it for episode 21. Only got a few more left before the season reel starts. It really starts, so we'll really get in there. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks again. I'm your host, Alex Espinosa. Thanks for listening to the Ricky Henderson Podcast, a.k.a. the greatest of all podcasts, the GUAP. All right,